A new movie released by Angel Studios brings moral clarity to the evil of human trafficking. Euthanasia laws continue to expand in Holland, Belgium, Australia, and Canada. President Biden says the quiet part out loud about American munitions before heading to Europe for a NATO meeting in Lithuania. This is Truth in Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam, and it's time to crank it up. Good morning, everybody. Thanks. Uh, well, it's morning if you're listening live and watching live the program today. Uh, it may not be morning where you are podcasting, but hopefully you have discovered the podcast and it's coming to your smart device every day. And if you're not listening live, you can listen to it at your leisure. Hope you had a great weekend. Hope it was good uh, that you enjoyed time with your family, uh, time off from work, maybe just uh hanging around the house, still kind of a hangover from July 4th week, you know? I mean, a lot of people are getting back to work today, like for the first time in a week, because it's uh, they took the July 4th week as vacation. That would be me. Um, had some floating days, and you combine those with our day off on Friday in the summer, plus the couple of days that we got for the July 4th holiday, and voila, you have uh, a week off from work. So I got to get my head back in the game uh, been I've been doing a lot of stuff around the house, as uh, I talked a little bit about last week. So um, haven't been completely out of it. Uh, I didn't just veg out and do like a Andy Griffith marathon, which I have been known to do. I mean, I've I've been known to sort of um, binge on different TV shows. I'll just get in the mood, you know. Most of the time, I'm working on stuff. I'm trying to write. I'm trying to. Uh, do stuff really in preparation for this program. But uh, sometimes I'll just, yeah, it's time to do a little, um, you know, binge watching. And some of my favorites are Law and & Order and NCIS and um, Bones. I've been watched, uh, binge watched some of Bones. Uh, sometimes I'll go on uh, the Paramount um, app and, and binge watch some, some things there. But anyway, I uh, didn't have time to do any of that this week, had, had this past week, had plenty of stuff to do. All right, let's get into what's going on today. Um, today might be a little bit of abbreviated show. Uh, some of the story we just our stories today are not as weighty. Friday, I felt like we were just um, every story was carrying about a thousand pound load um, in terms of just how weighty it was and and how urgent. Today's stories are not going to be so urgent, but they are going to be weighty in the sense that we're going to talk about some pretty serious subjects that are sometimes difficult for us to discuss. And certainly in the moral climate that we're living in today, some of these topics are hard to discuss because truth is now relative. In fact, truth doesn't exist anymore. I think it was four or five years ago, I had a big deal on the radio show where we had a funeral for truth. We actually did. I brought in some guests, and we did a two-hour um, sort of a, a requiem for the fact that truth had died and we were just going to go ahead and bury it because it 
No, there, there doesn't seem to be very much of it, and people don't really seem to care that we've lost something that's incredibly important, important uh, particularly in Western culture, but of course everywhere, truth is important. It's important in holding our culture together, holding our lives together. Uh, forget about collectively, but I mean, it, truth uh, and facing the truth is something that is important for us individually as we live our lives. We have to be able to live in a world that is filled with reality, and we have to face facts, even if there are things that we don't want to face. So in any event, um, we're going to talk a little bit today about Angel Studios uh, bringing some moral clarity to human trafficking in the movie Sound of Freedom, which uh, Denise and I went to see Friday night. And I, I'm telling you, it's just a, it's an incredible movie. Um, it is uh, well done. It, it takes a subject that could be exploitive. In other words, when you're talking about the, the trafficking of minors in the sex trade, uh, how do you portray that without using imagery that could be, you could be accused of actually promoting the, um, the, the sexual imagery or the sexualization of minors if you're trying to portray what happens to them and to do it accurately? Well, this movie found a way, and it's because it was put out by Angel Studios. Uh, Jim Caviezel is um, the main, one of the main stars. Well, he's the main star, main star in the movie. So we're gonna, and 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 yet, because they approached it from a biblical worldview, they were able to do what Steven Spielberg did with Jaws. You know, I mean, we were scared to death of a shark that we could never see. It was how how far into the movie did we get? before we actually saw the shark. And, of course, for Spielberg, that was because, if you read the backstory, the making of Jaws, it was because the shark kept breaking down, and he felt like he was they were going to have a real dud on their hands uh, because they were not going to be able to use the mechanical shark for the movie, which the whole movie was about. But what happened is Spielberg had to use sort of an Alfred Hitchcock type um, of, of um, methodology to make you afraid of the thing that you know is there, but you can't see it. And actually, uh, sometimes <laughs> that, that can be very effective. Well, in, in a way, Sound of Freedom does this. They, they lead you up to the edge of what the sexual trafficking of minors would look like, but they don't take you to the point where you feel like you have to go home and take a bath, okay? You, you feel horrible about the people that are represented, the evil that it represents, but they don't depict that evil in the movie in a way that it promotes it, is, is, would be the way to, to put it. Now, it's a difficult movie to watch. I, I'm not going to say that it, it isn't. Denise and I, as we were sitting there watching the movie, there were a couple of times, I mean, she just reached and, and put her hand on my arm and, and put her uh, other hand over her mouth, and, and I was wondering if we were going to have to, to go. I mean, when you've got, look, when you've got grandchildren, the age of the children that are being portrayed in this movie, and you know that this is not a fiction. I mean, a lot of movies, you know, you can just sit back and go, yeah, this is fiction. This is not true. This is uh, somebody's imagination on the screen. And, and no, this is, th this is bringing to light a horrible, horrible situation and problem in our world that minors are being trafficked for sexual purposes and turned into slaves. In fact, one of the most stunning phrases on the, in the movie comes at the end where they're putting up these statistics. And this statistic, and I checked this out, and this is, 
This is true. It's, it's hard to believe, but it's true. Just because something is offensive or hard to believe or we, we can't fathom it doesn't mean that the facts are not there to back it up. And it is that there are more people living in slavery today than at any other time in human history, including when slavery was legal. Now, let that sink in for a second. And it brings to light the, the horrors of human trafficking. And uh, we're, we're going to get into that. I'm, I'm, I've said a little bit more than I meant to at this portion in the show. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, President Biden basically saying the quiet part out loud about American munitions. Um, he has landed in London. He is meeting with uh, the prime minister or was meeting uh, earlier with the prime minister. He's going to meet with King Charles III, and then he's going on to Lithuania for a NATO meeting. And there's going to be some... Uh, some blowback there because the United States has announced that they're going to send cluster bombs and cluster munitions to Ukraine. Now, a lot of countries, 130-something, I don't remember the exact number, have signed a pact banning cluster munitions. The United States did not sign it, um, thankfully, since we're sending munitions to Ukraine that are cluster munitions. But the reason we're sending the munitions has become controversial over the weekend because something President Biden said. So we'll get all we'll get to that. We're also going to talk about and like I said, these are it, 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 they're not well, anything like this that we're talking about is urgent, but uh, they're ongoing, I guess you could say this this is human trafficking is not something that popped up in the last uh, two years. Uh, same thing with euthanasia. Since about 2001, uh, countries across Europe in particular, and of course states here in the United States, have been expanding euthanasia, doctor-assisted suicide, for just about any reason. I mean, you can have a hangnail now and go to a doctor and say you can't take it anymore, and they can assist you in taking your own life. Now, I'm, I'm being facetious. That's hyperbole. I'm exaggerating to make a point. Obviously, you have to have more than a hangnail, but we're going to get there if we keep moving in this direction of euthanasia and what what all that means, um, and particularly in Holland, Belgium, um, Australia, Canada. Uh, these are places that have fully embraced the idea that people should be able to kill themselves. And, and we're going to talk a little bit of today about what that leads to, because it does lead to something. Uh, before we do any of it, i got to play this, this, this clip for the 82nd Airborne Chorus from North Carolina, that um, was on America's Got Talent, and they brought the house down um, at, for several reasons. For one, they, they were incredible. I mean, they're just incredibly talented. For another, they dedicated their performance to a fallen comrade, which was very emotional. And they did something totally unrespect, un unexpected, I think. They came in, and when they made their appearance on America's Got Talent, they marched in in close order and were, uh, were led by their, um, I don't know if he's a sergeant, um, what rank he has, but anyway, yeah, Sergeant, uh, Staff Sergeant Gilbert. He, uh, he, he led the group in, military decorum was in place, they stood, they, they wheeled at attention, and then he, when he dismissed them, and then after that, as, as soon as they were, when he said stand easy or... Um, you know, di dismissed or, um, you know, fall out, I think is the, the order that he gave. Uh, he said, hey, everybody, 
and got a big laugh out of the crowd. So military discipline on display, which I, I think, wow, if millions of Americans who are watching television to be entertained can be uh, brought into close contact with military discipline and decorum, maybe people will realize and begin to come to know how important it is that our military be different from the culture that we live in. I mean, military culture is different. There's a different requirement. The discipline that's required to do terrible things when called upon is necessary, and there have to be people that are willing to do this if we're going to survive as a country and, and as a people. So anyway, that, that was fascinating, the way they marched in in close order and then when when the order fall out, I mean, they were they were just relaxed like you and I would be. So here's I'm going to let you hear a little bit of this. I'm going to play the part where um, the staff sergeant talks about the person that they lost and um, that that died that they all knew and that they're dedicating their performance to. And then as you be, as you hear the beginning, they're sort of doing a military cadence with harmony. I mean, it's kind of a cool thing to, to hear them the way they do it, but I think the audience is kind of thinking, okay, this is kind of cool, but, and then unexpectedly, I think very much so, they break into an incredible version of My Girl um, by The Temptations. I mean, it was just, it, 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 it's pretty amazing. So I'm going to play the part where the staff sergeant begins talking about the person that, that they're honoring, I'll let you hear that, and I'll let you hear the beginning where they get into the harmony on the cadence, and then hear the beginning of My Girl, and then we're going to have to cut. I can't play the whole thing. It's, it would be five or six minutes. But uh, anyway, here we go. So we wanted to dedicate this performance. Last week, we lost one of our soldiers, Specialist Elijah Crawford. So we're dedicating this performance to him and all of the soldiers that have passed before him. I, I told myself I wasn't going to. But yes. That is very respectful. Thank and you. I'm really sorry, by the way. Thank you. Really sorry. We're all rooting for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Holland! Okay, here we go. This is the cadence and harmony, which is kind of cool. Okay, like I said, can't play the whole thing, but if if you go to this this comes from Daily Wire is where I picked it up. You can find it on YouTube. You can go um, of course, I think it's uh, 
Uh, hold on there. I think it's NBC. Um, I'm not sure where America's Got Talent comes from. I am I am the world's worst when it comes to stuff like this because I just don't watch that much like television unless it's old stuff that I'm binge watching. I don't watch. I watch almost none of the new stuff that's on television. They've been on the last, I, I don't know, I'd say 10 years or so. So anyway, um, I, I just thought that would be an encouragement to you today. I mean, this is our, this is the 82nd Airborne Division. These are the, these are the people that parachute in in 18 hours anywhere in the world when there's a crisis. And this uh, chorus is based out of North Carolina. Uh, and they're just, they, they were just inc- incredible. I mean, um, I really uh, enjoyed listening. I, I listened to the whole thing. And if you want to check out, go to YouTube and just Google it. You can find the 82nd Airborne Chorus. Uh, the title here at Daily Wire is 82nd Airborne Chorus Brings the House Down at America's Got Talent. And there's no question. I, at the end, um, people were jumped to their feet. Simon Cowell, I think, was the first one. Um, of course, one of the judges, and and then all, the, every, but everybody was up on their feet over this, and um, certainly the, it it was it was incredible, incredible performance. All right, um, National Review writes about the Sound of Freedom's moral clarity. I told you a little bit about going to see the movie, and you know, I uh, it it it's it's doing very well at the box office. In fact, it's crossed $40 million. Now, Angel Studios, of course, you you know, The Chosen. This is a, a Christian production company and uh, best known for the production of The Chosen, but it's also produced other Christian movies and there are Christian-themed movies. And what I d- wasn't, wasn't ready for is the backlash that's coming from the legacy media, many in the legacy media, the the criticism of this movie, um, and and then when I find out the backstory, the movie was filmed in 2018, but it was put on hold when Disney acquired 20th Century Studios. Now, 20th Century was originally the studio that owned the picture, and in the end, it was Angel Studios, which National Review re, uh, refers to as a small faith-based producer known mostly for The Chosen, that oversaw its release. And it got off to an unusually successful start at the box office. In fact, on July 4th, its sales were on par with the latest Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. But the movie has drawn critics and detractors, and this is something that I was not prepared for. I would think... If there's anything that would unite all of us, it would be the exploitation of minor children in sex trafficking that were being kidnapped, lured into certain uh, areas through lies, and then put into the sex trade. I mean, I, 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 obviously against their will. This It seems to me that universally, people of moral character, and maybe that's the problem, would simply just stand up and in one voice condemn this from the rooftops and demand that it come to an end. But that's not the case. Um, A critic for The Guardian described it as a QAnon-adjacent thriller seducing America and called it paranoid. The QAnon conspiracy, of course, holds that child sex traffickers operate within the deep state. 
Um, so here's my question, and it's the same question asked by National Review. So now is it QAnon adjacent to talk about sex trafficking that operates anywhere? I mean, we know that sex trafficking is a reality. It's a, it's a terrible problem, as I stated when I began talking at this at the top of the show. And yet you've got people that actually are taking an opportunity to attack this movie. And I think there's a couple of things in play here. One, it's a Christian-themed movie. And that comes that, that's clearly presented. The motivation for the main character in the movie is, and it's, it's based on a real-life story, this is not fiction, um, is his Christian faith, which has caused, is causing him to not be able to simply stop the, perp, the people that are consuming um, child pornography, but to go after and try to rescue some of the children that exist in slavery in order to produce this garbage, this evil that is available everywhere. Um, and so just, to, I mean, how in the world can we find people that want to attack that except to discredit Jim Caviezel, who has played, I mean, obviously he was in The Passion of the Christ. Uh, that's where we first got to know him. He was made an international star, uh, Mel Gibson's movie. Uh, and then he's been in other productions where he's portrayed Christian characters. And so this, this is as much an attack against, against Christianity to come against this movie because they don't want people connecting the dots to be able to say, okay, Christianity's a good thing. Look how it motivates people to intervene in, in people's lives, particularly, particularly to protect the lives of children and to rescue them from the pain of human trafficking. That's a message that many in the legacy media don't want the American people to get because they think Christianity's on the ropes. They think that Christianity is on the way out, and they can't have a resurgence or a revival of Christianity in the minds of the American people motivated by the fact that this person who was in the, portrayed in this movie was a born-again believer who was motivated by the teaching of Scripture and the idea that each one of us is an image-bearer of God and therefore deserves to be protected, particularly our children. And you also can have, and, and I'm, I'm putting this in with the first part of this, and we're, we're going to get to the second reason I think they made this attack, but in with the first reason is the fact that transgender surgery for minors is being portrayed as child abuse, and it is. I mean, you, you talk about taking children who are not old enough yet to make complex decisions about the rest of their life, and you have parents and doctors. I mean, it just it blows my mind that any parent would look at a 12, 13, 14, 15, even 16-year-old and say, you know, this person that, that I brought into the world is, is able at this age to decide because they're confused about their gender that they want to have radical life-altering, unreversible, irreversible, I should say, surgery at a young age before they're fully developed into thinking about these things on the level that should be necessary before they make that kind of a decision. And, and look, there are plenty of places, plenty of laws on the books that says that 
that just, yes, do I believe in parental rights? I do, but I don't believe in the right of a parent to abuse their own children. I don't believe in, in the right of a parent to take a child and to sell the child into slavery. I don't believe in a parent's right to um, exploit a child for money. I mean, all of these things are illegal. And yet we go crazy as a culture when we suggest that it should be illegal for parents and doctors, even the parents, if they come along and say that it's okay to mutilate children permanently because they're having some gender confusion. And so, uh, you know, that, that template, that narrative has got to be defended in our culture right now while, uh, while our culture is debating this point. So if you come out and you've got, you've got Christians who are saying, you know what, minors should not be trafficked, everybody's going to say, now the Guardian and, and, and the other outlets here that um, are, are being critical of this movie are quick to say that human trafficking is, is real. Uh, I mean, it is a problem, but it's not the problem. It's not the big problem that's being portrayed here in this movie. In other words, uh, here's what they're saying to the culture. Culture, don't look at this right now because we've got another story that we're trying to push. Our narrative revolves around children being able to, to have surgery when it comes to, uh, to, to changing gender. And we don't want you to begin to think about the sexuality, the, the sexualization of children, because if you do, then you might, you might understand that transgender surgery for minors is similar to what we're seeing here with human trafficking. I mean, that's, they, they, they don't want you to draw that correlation. They don't want you to think that deeply about a moral issue that is as just disturbing as this one happens to be. So I think that's the first thing, going after Christians, going after them because they don't like uh, Christian morality. They don't like the fact that Christians are portrayed in this movie as being heroic and acting upon moral values that I think all of us share, but sometimes we're afraid to speak because the culture has turned its back on any moral values when it comes to sexuality of any kind. So I think that's the first thing. But the second thing is, notice what they talk about it, QAnon adjacent, seducing America, paranoid. And you know what that's related to? That, that's a backhanded um, attack against Donald Trump and people that would support him. Now, look, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not defending people in Trump's world that are involved in QAnon. And there's certainly those that are. QAnon is a, uh, is a ridiculous conspiracy that we, we really need to turn away from. I, 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 I just don't understand people's capacity. When you've got real problems in the world, to go out and manufacture something that is not, it, it may be a reflection of that problem, but, but it isn't the problem that QAnon says it is. Human trafficking exists, but it's not some kind of deep state thing, and, that, and President Trump was, was not the, the one who was going to fly to the rescue and bring an end to all of this. And yet that narrative, because it can cause an undermining of Trump's candidacy for, pre for president, I believe that's part of the reason that this is part of the attack. 
Um, it's and and I know that that may sound far fetched, but look, the 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 mainstream media, the legacy media, is not going to pass up any opportunity to paint all Republicans as being crazy. They try to do this all the time. They try to blame all Republicans, all conservatives for January sixth. They try to and now they're trying to paint Republicans and conservatives as being QAnon supporters because a lot of cons- people who would be considered Christians and conservatives are going out to see this movie. And the reason can't be because they're moved by the fact that someone would intervene to rescue children out of slavery. That can't be the fact because that that would elevate Christianity. That would elevate that way of thinking, that biblical worldview in the world. So you've got to think about it differently. You've got to, they're trying to connect it to something that people already know is crazy, and that's QAnon. So that's the only perspective that I can come up with as to why they would do this. National Review goes on and says, consider it this way. Let's say this film fuels a moral panic or that we're overestimating the problem of sex trafficking. The harm in this would be, at worst, wasted energy and a disproportionate use of resources. But what if, contrary to the status quo narrative, we're underestimating the problem of child sex trafficking, which is absolutely true. I believe that's absolutely true. Or even turning a blind eye. The harm there would be the wide-scale sex abuse of children left unchallenged. unchallenged. And so this is, to have this movie maligned as it is in our culture today is a symptom of the sickness of our culture that we would actually um, turn away from or try to portray or downplay in any way child sex trafficking, which is happening it I mean there's it, that's not even a debatable point let me let me tell you a, a little bit about the movie and what it's based on uh, I'm not going to give you some of the because I, I want you to go see it I, I think everybody should see this movie uh, Denise and I actually had a debate uh, you know I wanted to go see the Indiana Jones movie just because it's Indiana Jones okay I mean I know Harrison Ford's 80 years old but still he's Indiana Jones. And I, I, you know, I, I wanted to go see it. Well, Denise was like, no, I want to see Sound of Freedom. And I'm glad that that's what she wanted to do because Sound of Freedom, Indiana Jones is pure entertainment and fantasy. Sound of Freedom is something that strikes at the heart of who we are as a people. It reminds us of the horrible things that are out there in the world and that we need to be knowledgeable and we need to be active and we need to be doing something to bring this, this evil to an end, this, this human trafficking of minors. So uh, good choice on my wife's part. She, she's pretty good at that. Um, all right, here, the movie takes as its subject, of course, uh, one of the, as, as National Review says, one of the most awful evils known to man, child sex trafficking, it's based on the true story of husband and father of six, Timothy Ballard, who Jim Caviezel portrays in the movie, a Homeland Investigations operative hunting pedophiles and child sex traffickers in the United States. So it begins, um, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to tell you exactly how it begins, but it, it, um, it, it quickly moves toward this Tim Ballard and, and his activity in breaking up people who are um, child sex trafficking, not the trafficking, but the people who are consuming 
these children that are being trafficked. Uh, in the film, Ballard's story runs parallel to that of a sister-brother duo, uh, Rocio and uh, Miguel, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you their actual names. They're here, but I would probably butcher the correct pronunciation anyway. These are the names in the movies. Um, and Rocio is 11, female, and Miguel is 9, a young man. Children from Honduras lured away from their father by Katie Gazelle, who, Giselle, who is actually, um, and I will tell you this name, it's Jessica Borito Perryman, a madam posing as an entertainment business agent. Most of Ballard's career involves domestic cases, catching pedophiles in the U.S. through sting operations, but when a new colleague asks how many children he saved, Ballard is unsettled by his answer because he has to say none yet, he adds. Later, with the support of his wife, Catherine, and the reluctant permission of his boss, Ballard travels to Colombia to rescue Miguel and reunite him with his father, but he won't rest until he finds Rocio, too. As the official support and financial backing from the U.S. government wanes, he resigns, following the trail deep into rebel territory in the Colombian jungle, and he's accompanied by Vimeo, um, who's a reformed criminal dedicated to buying and then freeing child sex slaves. The two pose as U.N. doctors bringing vaccines to the region, and I'm telling you, as National Review says here, these are some of the movie's most action-packed scenes. It is an action-packed movie. It's an emotionally draining movie, uh, but it's an important movie. And what I'm going to do in a future show, I didn't have time to do the research before today um, over the weekend, but what I'm going to do, do in a future show is dive into the true story of Tim Ballard. I, I wanna, one reason is because I want to know. I want to know more about this guy. I, I know that he's motivated by his Christian faith, but I also just want to know more about him um, as a person and how this story actually unfolded and how many children have been rescued. But, you know, when you're talking about hundreds of children being rescued, that is a drop in a bucket to the total amount of children that are being sex trafficked in this country every day. In a, in the, in the, it's, it's happening all around the world. Uh, we need to be, as Christians, prayerful. We need to be aware of this. We need to support this movie. Um, there's a, a, a point at the end of the movie where if you want to buy tickets for those who can't afford them, you can uh, uh, pull out your phone and, and copy a barcode, and you can purchase a ticket that then would be given away free. Um, there, I've seen, seen several, several stories of businesses and Christian businesses that are giving away tickets to this movie, giving, giving them away free to get people to go see it, just to, so that they have a better understanding of what's going on with human trafficking. All right, um, a couple of stories here, and again, these are uh, difficult. John Stone Street with Breakpoint, which is come from the Colson Center, and if you don't listen to Breakpoint, by the way, I would, I would recommend that you um, go sign up for that podcast. I mean, it's five minutes. Max, and it's every day, but he tackles some very uh, deep subjects, things that Christians should be thinking about um, and paying attention to. And what he talked about today, I went back and did some research, is the movement in Holland, in Belgium, in Canada, and in Australia, and of course, some states here in the United States, we have doctor-assisted suicide. But but here's the point. 
Um, you, you go back to as early as, say, 2001, and you begin to get in Europe before it became even really talked about much here in the United States. Um, well, uh, actually, it, it was talked about, but not to the level that it was being practiced in some of these European countries. That is euthanasia, doctor-assisted suicide. You had Kevorkian here, a very famous case. He was finally convicted in, in the United States and, and spent time in jail. But in, in when you look at Holland, uh, doctor-assisted suicide has morphed into just about the, as the solution for any illness that is causing pain that is ongoing. I mean, it, here's how this thing starts. The idea of helping somebody to take their own life if they're terminally ill, that's where it began. And th this is where Kevorkian came in. A, a person uh, had no hope for recovery, and they were in daily constant pain. See, that's the most, um, I guess you could say, the most sympathetic argument that you could make because everybody probably knows somebody that is in that predicament. there, and, it, and it's a horrible thing. But you, if you know somebody, you probably also know somebody who very nobly and with great strength, endures the pain and then passes away, not because a doctor injects chemicals into their body, but the natural process of life. And yes, there's pain and suffering on the way, but life is revered. The gift of life, the fact that we're each made in the image of God, is supported when we actually face suffering in this life. In fact, in fact the Bible tells us that suffering is going to be part of this earthly existence. And, and, and yes, it, it's, it's a horrible thing when the suffering becomes terrible and, it, and as we get toward the end of life, but there's a big difference between allowing someone to, to die by not intervening with historic me, uh, heroic measures such as uh, resuscitation or putting them on a... Uh, a you know, artificial life support, that kind of thing. That, that's one thing. A person making that decision that as they get to the end of life, they, want, they don't want these heroic measures that are simply going to extend their suffering. There's a big difference between that and getting to the point where I just can't take this anymore. Doctor, please give me a shot that will end my life or please help me to commit suicide. You begin with that because a terminal patient who has no hope of recovery, is the most sympathetic and is likely to gain the most support from the public. You know, we, we, we would be aghast if we started with people who were simply depressed or in mental anguish and we moved toward suicide for them. That, 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 people are just not ready for that. Uh, or people who have autism and are not able to create relationships that are rewarding and sustaining for them. So they get to a point that leads them to a point of depression where they want to end their life. And so we begin with terminally ill. Then we, we move from terminally ill to people that are living a life where they have to deal with pain or some type of, of uh, discomfort every day. And we begin to make the argument that, well, what's the difference between the fact that this person's terminal and this person's simply 
uh, could live another 20 years. They're not terminally ill, but, but actually they're in a lot of pain too. And maybe we should make room for them to make an end of life decision to help them to, to die. Then we move from that to what about people that are elderly and are taking up resources that need to be redistributed in, our, in the medical community to the younger and stronger. Now we're really getting close to a 1930s and 40s Germany viewpoint of the value of human life. And that's exactly where we've landed. Um, here's, this story comes from the New York Post. Now this is from 2007, uh, no, yeah, 2016, you realize this is, this is seven years ago that this is what was happening in Europe, and it's only expanded since 2016. But here it says, in early childhood, the Dutch psychiatric patient known as 201477, so they, they don't reveal the name, they just have a patient number, suffered neglect and abuse. When he was about 10, let me say that again, when he was about 10, Doctors diagnosed him with autism. For approximately two decades thereafter, he was in and out of treatment and made repeated suicide attempts. He suffered terribly. Doctors later observed from his inability to form relationships, this is what was causing him to suffer. He, he was not able to, uh, because of his, his depression and autism, to have normal close relationships. He responded to matters in a spontaneous and intense, sometimes even extreme way, and that led to problems. A few years ago, 201477 asked a psychiatrist to end his life. In the Netherlands, doctors can perform euthanasia, listen to this, not only for terminal phys physical illness, but also upon the voluntary and well-considered request of those suffering unbearably from incurable mental conditions. So you see, it starts out, again, physical, terminal, You've, you, you have cancer or some other, or ALS or, or some other terrible disease that is going to lead to your death. So we shorten your life and we call that mercy. And, we do, and, and then, that, then that extends out. Well, you know, it, it shouldn't be just about those that are physically suffering. What about the mental anxiety that people go through every day? Then maybe we should address that. Maybe that needs to be a reason for suicide. Now, the doctor declined his belief the case was treatable as well as his own moral qualms. He just felt like he couldn't, the psychiatrist couldn't do it. But he did transmit the request to colleagues as Dutch norms require. They treated 201477 for one more year, determined his case was indeed hopeless, and administered a fatal dose of drugs. Now, this is a group of doctors that gave up. And when they gave up, of course, the patient gave up. What happened to coming alongside somebody, bearing their burden, as the Bible tells us to do, we're to bear one another's, another's burdens and thus fulfill what Christ has called us to do and be. We, we bear burdens, we encourage, we help people along, we minister to them in their time of need, but we don't come alongside of them and whisper in their ear, maybe it would just be better if you were gone. And after a while, that's what these doctors did. I mean, I'm, I'm impressed that they tried for a year. But really? 
I mean, you you can you reach a point where you say because we don't make the progress that we think we should, we decide that this person doesn't have the right to live anymore or can give up that right to live and we'll help them to achieve that. Folks, that's we're getting into the realm of playing God and doing it poorly. I mean, when human beings decide that they're God, it always turns out bad. Um, so doctors in other places elsewhere are starting to apply independent scrutiny to increasingly common euthanasia of Holland's mentally ill, and their findings are not so reassuring. To the contrary, according to an analysis of 66 of the 110 cases from 2011 to 2014, by psychiatrist Scott Kim of the National Institute of Health and two colleagues, Dutch psychiatric patients were often euthanized despite disagreement among consulting physicians as to whether they meet the legal criteria. See, you, you know, the camel's nose, the slippery slope, people like to make fun of that. Is there anything worse than this? This is a slippery slope toward people who are in mental anguish, you don't, you don't even have to have a consensus anymore. You don't have to have all the doctors agree that are on the case. It, it, I guess if it's three to two, then you decide that a person, you can help a person take their life. In 37 cases, patients refused possibly beneficial treatment and doctors proceeded anyway. So the patient said, look, we, I, I don't want to be treated. This could help. Well, yeah, there's something here that we believe can help you. But rather than convincing them, they just simply decide to move toward the end of life. The Kim Report, published February 10th in the journal JAMNA Psychiatry, undercuts the very notion of a voluntary and well-considered request for death from a patient who is, by definition, cognitively and or emotionally troubled. See, you, you, you understand the logic here? These are doctors saying that a person who is suffering from mental illness, they've got a problem with their brain and their cognition and their ability to either emotionally or intellectually determine what's best for them. Doctors are letting them make a decision about dying. And that, I mean, you, at least in the United States, a person can use as their defense for committing a crime the fact that they're mentally incapacitated. And yet around the world, and in some places here in the United States, a person can use that mental capacity to advocate for the fact that they should not be allowed to live anymore. See, when we get untethered from truth, when we walk away from the Genesis presentation of creation having a special meaning in the eyes of God and the, the very fact that God breathed into humanity the breath of life and we became a living being and we reflect the image and the glory of our Creator, when we forget those things, we become animals. We become evil and, and we become capable of moral evil against each other. Some doctors are, uh, here's, um, will psychiatrists conclude from the legalization of assisted death that it is acceptable to give up on treating some patients? Some doctors already have. In 2009, a 37-year-old Belgian woman became distraught after a romantic breakup 
and began seeking a doctor to euthanize her per that country's law, which is similar to Holland's. The woman, Teen Nyes, had a history of mental illness, including a teenage suicide attempt, but had more recently been doing well. And then in February of 2010, she received a new diagnosis of autism and two months later, a lethal injection. So autism is now a legitimate reason for a doctor to give a patient a lethal injection of drugs to help that patient die. And what started this whole thing with this woman? A breakup. A, a, a break in a relationship. Ladies and gentlemen, if, if we start putting people to death or allowing them to choose suicide and assisting them in that regard in this, in the, in the, in this country, I mean, how, how many people is that going to be? How many, how many people do you come in contact with on a fairly regular basis who are emotionally distraught because a relationship doesn't go the way they want it to? And if you don't have a solid understanding of the image of God, the value of life, you listen, people think that abortion, the killing of a baby in the womb, doesn't have ramifications outside within the culture. It has huge ramifications for our understanding of the sanctity and the beautiful gift of life. Once we begin to say that what grows in the mother's womb is just a clump of cells, then you can take a look at the other end of life when a person has become elderly to the point that somebody decides that they're no longer of any use to society and they become a clump of cells. Nothing more than that. And you can have something like doctor-assisted suicide. The Canadian Supreme Court specifically said recently that the... That the um, Let's see here. Canadians are now debating how to implement last year's ruling by their Supreme Court. Now, again, this story is from 2016. Establishing a right to physician-assisted dying in cases of grievous and irremediable, a irremediable, I guess that's close enough, medical condition. A panel of experts advising Ontario and 10 other provinces and territories has urged the ruling to be construed to include mental illness. The insanity of this. The, that a person that we are determining as a culture that a person that is mentally ill is fit to make a decision about their end of life. That they, that, that they, they can process the information. We've already said that there's something wrong with their processing ability, and yet we're saying that if they process the fact that they think they should die, that our culture supports that. We're becoming a culture of death. I mean, it, 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 it's, a, it's actually quite shocking when you think about it. All right, let's move on. Well, what, let me do this before we move on. What's the answer to this? Um, the only answer is a biblical worldview. The only answer is going back to Scripture, understanding that God is the divine creator, that he gives us life, that he gives us, it is, it is God who determines our lifespans, and it is and that every life 
is valuable. We don't value life based on what life can contribute to society. We value life based on the fact that life is precious because of a creator. And that intrinsic to itself, life has a deeper meaning than just its value to society. And we need to help people to get beyond the anguish that would lead them to death. You know, this is, you talk about spiritual warfare, and I, I preached about this at Five Forks Baptist Church last Sunday, the spiritual armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, the sword of the Spirit. These are the things that we have that we can fight against the unseen enemy in the spiritual world. And people who are, are when, when they get in a place of suffering, then the one who is the author of death, the one who pushes death in the world, Satan, begins to put thoughts in their head that death is preferable to be living on and trying to honor the gift of life by somehow overcoming their circumstances. And it's it once we move away from that thinking, it's it's a short road to things like the Holocaust. I mean, I I, I know people will say that that's an exaggeration, but it it, it, it that that's absolutely the, the truth. All right. I want to talk about President Biden. Uh, in his European trip, uh, obviously he's go he's gone. He's in England right now, meeting with uh, the uh, Prime Minister there and with King Charles III. Um, and he's going to end up going into um, um, oh, where was it that they're going to have the NATO meeting? Uh, Lithuania just went out of my head for a second. Um, and so, right before he goes on the trip he actually lets the cat out of the bag about munitions in this country. And a lot of people are adding this to the list of things that would say that the president really is losing um, his ability to lead because he goes on television and he's asked about, okay, why are we going to be giving these munitions, these new munitions to the Ukrainians that a lot of countries have banned, as we said at the beginning of the program, um, over 130 countries have banned the uh, using of cluster bombs. Well, <laughs> you know, the, the president says, well, there, there's two reasons. One, he talks about the fact that the Russians are already using the cluster bombs and that the cluster bombs themselves that the Russians are using um, sometimes don't explode on contact, and it, it provides... Um, a, a, a danger for the civilian population. And so our muni with the Russians doing this, our munitions, our cluster bombs are, are not likely to do that. So first of all, that's why we didn't sign the treaty. Uh, that, that Biden is basically explaining that because of the, the, the accuracy of our munitions, we didn't feel like that the problem existed for us in using those weapons. And, of course, there's a lot of other reasons these countries signed on. They, they think it's an unfair advantage. They think it's, there's a, a good possibility of civilian death, and nobody wants to see civilian death during a war. But 
it, it, just like with the Russians, I mean, they don't seem to mind civilian death because in the same way that Hitler bombed neighborhoods in Great Britain in World War II trying to turn public opinion against um, Churchill, you've got Russia bombing Ukraine, killing civilians intentionally in order to turn the opinion against Zelensky so that the people demand peace and they end up with not peace but subjugation. So it, as, we, as we think about this with President Biden, to me it's just another example of the fact that I don't think President Biden is going to end up being uh, the candidate for the Democrats. I just don't, I don't see how that's, it, every day there's something else that happens. There's a way that he communicates. And by saying in an interview that the United States is short of 155 millimeter shells, which is what he did, he said, he said part of the reason that we're sending cluster bombs is we're transitioning them, we're helping transition them, um, the Ukrainians, because they're short of munitions. This is a war about, this war is about munitions. Well, I don't know of many wars that haven't been about munitions. I mean, we, the, the ability to have ammunition to be able to fight the enemy is something that's true for every war. Um, and I suppose this is particularly true for Ukraine, simply because they have to depend on outside help. Again, much the same way Great Britain had to depend on outside help from the United States during the year that they stood alone against Germany in World War II. So the Ukrainians are depending on help from other countries, so they, we've got to get the munitions to them to keep them in the fight. But for the president to reveal that the Ukrainians are short on 155-millimeter shells. Oh, and, and then to say, by the way, so are we. We, we don't have the, the shells to send to. Now, the, the White House came out clean up on aisle five. I mean, they came back after this and released a statement saying, oh, no, 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 the, the president misspoke or the president, we, he was trying to make a different point. The United States has plenty uh, a, a stockpile for our own defense, and, and what he meant was that we're just running short of the amount that we have to send to them. Well, I, I mean, but why was the president of the United States revealing information like that on public television? Do they think, does he think the Chinese don't watch? Does he think the Russians don't watch? I mean, this is to, for, for the Russians to know that the Ukrainians are running short on munitions is... That's that's something that I would consider to be revealing secrets during the war that can help the enemy. Um, and and this is why it, the 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 problem to me with President Biden, of course, as a conservative, my problem is with many of his policies. No matter what the question is for President Biden, the answer is more government, big government, and it's a worldview that is diametrically opposed to mine. But the, the other problem is competency. It's not just worldview. It's not just decision. It's decision-making related to is the president mentally able to carry out, to bear the burdens of being president of the United States and to carry out the responsibilities of being president and commander-in-chief. And I think as we get closer and closer to the beginning of the primary season, that 
the Democrat Party has got a hard decision to make about the person that is going to represent them in the election. Are they going to make it? It seems to me that the president's mental acuity is deteriorating because we're seeing more and more of this. Now, some would argue that we're not seeing more of it. We're simply that the media is simply drawing more attention to it. I'm sure that's part of it, but there has to be something for the media to draw attention to. And I, I don't think that they're short of, of different things that the president does and says and the way he behaves on the, na on the uh, national and international stage that, it, it, that he's giving them plenty of reasons to question. And I'm just not confident that, that President Biden is going to make it all the way to the primary process. I think, I, I think it becomes more likely every day that there's a different candidate who actually ends up running for president. And it's not going to be Kamala Harris. I know a lot of conservatives go crazy when you start talking like this because they go, well, it's going to be Kamala. No, the Democrats know they can't win with Kamala Harris. So they're going to have, but they're going to have to come up with somebody. Gavin Newsom. I mean, the list is, is not that long for the Democrat Party, actually, because they don't have a very deep bench right now. But I, I think that you're going to see a continued deterioration here in the president. And this latest is just, we're, we're telling the world what our, what, what our military capability is at a time when we're supporting a country at war. And that information would be important information for the enemy to know and information that obviously the Ukrainian army doesn't want the enemy to know. And so I, I, I just feel like as we see more and more of this, the likelihood of there being another candidate other than Biden could certainly be out there. All right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the program today. That's really all the time we got. We're going to wrap it up, and I'll see you again in the morning at 730. If you want to know more about me, go to drtonybeam.com. That's drtonybeam.com. Please leave me a good review if you like the podcast and you are um, have subscribed to it for free and it comes to your smart device every day, give me a good review and recommend it because that'll help other people find it as well. God bless you. Have a great day.